What's going on, Reds fans, and what's going on, baseball fans? Welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Today on the show, we got a lot on tap for you. Derek Johnson got a promotion. We're going to talk about what that means for the Reds. The World Series heads down south, and we'll take a look at that and talk a little bit about the matchup there. And in today's final segment, I want to begin a recurring segment, something that we will revisit periodically throughout the offseason, look at prospects who the Reds traded away. We're going to call it Prospect Remorse. That's coming up on today's podcast that's presented to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app today on your mobile device and join the conversation about the World Series, the NBA, and more. Greenroom is changing the way that we talk sports. All right, let's get it rolling. You are locked on Reds. Your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It was a bit of big news yesterday as Derek Johnson got a promotion. Yeah, I know he's pitching coach and he didn't get promoted to manager because, well, David Bell got an extension, so he's not going anywhere. Derek Johnson got promoted to what is now termed the director of pitching for the Cincinnati Reds. He will head up the major league side and he will formulate an organizational plan. Let's talk about what this means because this comes a couple of weeks after the news that Kyle Bodie would be stepping down due to creative differences. And we kind of had a bit of a negative tone about all that. I've talked to some people since then and gotten a little bit more take on it. Basically, it kind of seemed, I, I never got this like a straight report from anybody, but it kind of seemed like it was Kyle Bodie or Derek Johnson. You pick one of the two because they weren't working out really well together. R- reportedly, the creative differences aspect was really more of Kyle Bodie presenting his plan and not really being flexible to anything else. He wasn't listening to the rest of the organization. And they weren't really molding Kyle Bodie's idea of developing pitching with uh, other ideas. And yeah, we loved the development side and the different positive developments we'd seen like Graham Ashcraft and guys who are moving through the organization with their amazing potential. But I wonder what that was doing with Derek Johnson. And let's be honest, if you have to choose between the two of them, I really like Derek Johnson, and I was glad to see that this happened. So he gets the promotion, and he got an undisclosed amount of years extended onto his contract. Nick Kroll announced that, yes, there was a contract extension involved. He did not uh, say how long, though. So Derek Johnson is going to be around for a little while longer. Another development that kind of adds on to this, there is a guy who is termed the pitching coordinator. He is Brian Conger, who kind of travels between the teams and, you know, makes sure that the plan is being implemented and things like that. They're going to add another coordinator, presumably for the in-season duties, because here's the biggest question with all of this. It really seems like the director of pitching is a full-time job. So, so is a major league pitching coach. That's a full-time job. So Derek Johnson has two full-time jobs. This, this always makes me think of one of my favorite Ron Swanson quotes, and that is never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. So how is this going to work? Because 
Apparently, the details are, during the offseason, Derek Johnson's going to formulate the organizational philosophy for developing pitchers throughout the farm system. And then once the season starts, he will wholly focus on the major league side of pitching. So that kind of makes sense. But what happens in season? I think that's where the second coordinator comes into uh, the picture here. Now, they did not announce who that is. So I'm guessing this is something that came about with the promotion and they are currently vetting candidates and things like that. But one of the things that Derek Johnson stressed and one of the things that he quoted in the article, if you read it, it just depends on where you read it. It's in all the different articles talking about his promotion. But like what I read on MLB.com, Mark Sheldon had the quote that said from Derek Johnson that said, you know, it's going to be making sure that everyone in the organization is included. Talking about even from Nick Crawl to Sean Pender to Brad Meter and all those different guys, all the coaches involved, everybody's going to be a part of it. So to me, reading between the lines, it's not as if they said this, but reading between the lines, it kind of sounds like Kyle Bodie was trying to run it as the czar, as the development dictator. I know dictator is kind of a strong word, but kind of sounds like he wanted to centralize the whole thing and be in charge of all of it. And I don't think that they liked that. And that is why they have moved on from that. So more details are emerging about all of that. So I, the understanding of Kyle Bodie moving on is a little bit more clear to me. I, I, I get it a little bit more now. I still, I'm not a huge fan of it because I saw the development, but I like that Derek Johnson is the guy that takes over for this. They don't go out and get some relative unknown dude or something like that. Like Kyle Bodie was sort of an unknown, but he, you know, we kind of knew his product was totally different from what the Reds have done. Derek Johnson stressed that there will be a, a wedding, a, a combination of new school and old school. So that's another thing that also makes me think, okay, there were no old school stuff. And that was probably pissing off a lot of people in the organization. Say what you will. And I'm a new school guy. I love the new school when it comes to baseball, but there is value to molding the two things. You cannot just ignore one, have all of the other and expect it all. There, there's a happy medium in life. And, and that's in anything really, not just baseball. That's, that's in life. You know, there's, there's one side, there's another side and somewhere in the middle is where reality lies. So Derek Johnson gets that and he's going to mold it all together. I do like that. And you know, it just kind of goes back. The only question that I have about this news is two full-time jobs is what it sounds like Derek Johnson, Derek Johnson now has. And, uh, there's only 24 hours in the day. So, okay. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Hopefully this is more of a progressive move, more of a let's bet on Derek Johnson and Derek Johnson can handle this than it is a, the reds are trying to save money and just eliminate a position and roll it into somebody else's job. Hopefully that's not the case. See, time will tell. That's not really something that we're going to have an answer on, probably even by the end of this first season. It's going to take a few years for that because it's taken a few years for the Reds farm system to really ramp up, even under Kyle Bodie. So we'll see exactly how this all plays out. But the best news of all of this is the fact that Derek Johnson is going to be around for a little while longer. This is not something that is temporary. This is not something that is going to end at the end of this season, or who knows? 
This extension might be three, four, or five years. Who knows? His first contract that he signed reportedly was a four-year deal, so he was still under contract for this upcoming season. We'll have to see what that all means for the future. But it's good news nonetheless. Derek Johnson is going to be around. All right, coming up here in just a minute, I want to talk about the World Series. It's heading south, and later on in the show, we're going to do a brand new segment called Prospect Remorse. That's coming up. But first, I want to tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the most amazing, best, couldn't think of one word, so I tried to say like three words there, but it's the best tasting protein bar on the market, bar none. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar because it's made with 100% real chocolate. And you can check out some brand new limited time flavors. Literally before I hit the recording button, I had me a blueberry muffin built bar. You got to check this out. They got little blueberries in them. Tastes exactly like a blueberry muffin, except, you know, there's chocolate there too, which is fantastic, but it's still super healthy for you. All built bars range between 130 and 180 calories, and you're getting 17 to 18 grams of protein per bar. These things fit into any diet. Even if you're keto, Built Bar can jump into your diet and it'll satisfy that sweet tooth that you've got. Go to Built.com today. Use the promo code LOCKED15. Get yourself a mixed box. See which flavor you like. Or if you already know, use that promo code to save 15% off your favorite flavor. A whole big box of them. If you need a restock, go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get more of the best tasting protein bar on the market. Look, when you hear the word protein bar and you think oh, some kind of healthy weird food it's chalky you got a bad feel in your mouth no this is 100 real chocolate absolutely amazing tasting you're gonna want to eat more than one but you don't really need to although you could you could binge eat a built bar but they are very good in between meal snacks i'm not the kind of person that could really use it as a meal replacement although my wife says that they do work for meal replacements Check them out today at built.com and use the promo code locked 15 to save 15% off your next order. All right. The world series. And, and I said this and I just thought, well, Jeff Houston's in the South too. So whatever the world series is heading to the dirty South. It's going to Atlanta as the first two games got split in Houston. You always say, you know, a playoff series never starts until the road team wins a game. Well, Atlanta won the very first game of the series, so the series has definitely started. The question now becomes in these next three games, can Houston steal one or two of these games? For my money, they're still the better team. I think that game one was a matter of them feeling the layoff, feeling the couple of days without playing, and they kind of had to ramp back up to speed. Gordon Beckham, Locked On Insider, who we'll hear from here in just a minute, had made the statement that in baseball, three days off is a lot. And that next game back, you really got to kind of figure some things out again. You got to get your swing back. You got to get your rhythm back. It's not something that you can have three off days and just keep playing like you were. So I see that as more of a product of the layoff than saying, ooh, the Astros aren't going to win this series. Still think the Astros win this series. Still think it's going to be about six games. So how do they steal one here in Atlanta? Game three coming up, we got Luis Garcia and Ian Anderson and Gordon Beckham. Like I mentioned, Locked On Insider talked with Locked On's Daniela Bruce about this game and what to look forward to. And you mentioned that this series is heading back to Atlanta for game three, and I'm sure that is exactly what the Braves wanted to do, considering that they are undefeated at home during the postseason. So 
I'd imagine that you think the Astros are going to have to bring their A game plus some if they want to steal one in Atlanta. Yeah, the Braves have been rolling at home, right? I mean, I live here in Atlanta. The 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 feeling is palpable in and around Atlanta. You walk around, guys are asking me questions about like what's going on, what are we going to do, and it's it's kind of interesting because I don't really have a uh, I play for the Braves, but I don't really have a uh, a horse in this race. So um, it's interesting. I think that after Game One, I was like, Braves look really good, you know, but. Going back to Atlanta, they should feel really good because they've what five five and no last uh, five they've played in uh, in Truist Park. I think that there's an interesting like uh, it's just palpable what's going on in the city. I mean, listen, they haven't won a World Series since 1995, and they've always kind of been in the mix. I mean, there's a there's a stretch there even when I played for the Braves, they weren't in contention, but. Now they're kind of in the mix, and so you can you can just feel people in and around the city of Atlanta just feel like this is our year. It's kind of a weird year to be because there's no nobody was saying, "Hey, the Braves are going to win it." Um, but now they're all of a sudden, you know, they're they're sneaking around and doing that. But they've got to get past a Houston team that is legitimate, and they're legitimate not only on the mound. Their 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 lineup is so good, and now the Braves don't have the kind of element of surprise. I always think that like when you have that many games off. When you have three days off and then you play, so it's almost four days since you've played a real live game, it takes a little bit of time. Well, the Astros showed up and answered the bell, and so they're right back where they need to be. Now it's just a regular off day and back playing. So I think that what you're going to see is an Astros team that's going to be tough to beat. Um, I don't know if they'll buck the trend in Atlanta, but it wouldn't shock me if they did. How exactly do you think the Braves have to respond in this situation? Same way they've responded all postseason. I mean, just every time they've gotten hit in the mouth, they basically just come right back and 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 did some hitting of their own. So, yeah. you know, somebody punches them, they're punching right back. And I think that's the, been the thing. So what I would key on if you're watching this game, um, you know, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, especially Friday, is it, number one, the weather is going to be cold. It's going to be 55 degrees and 15 mile per hour winds. Houston's not used to it. The Braves are not used to it. So that's something that's going to play a factor uh, in that game. But also, if you see that the Braves punch back really early, I think that's a really good sign if you're a Braves fan. If you see the Astros go up without a Braves answer real real quick, you should be worried uh, moving into game four if you're a Braves fan. Because basically, the the, uh, the Astros are – they're, they're no joke. I mean, they know how to hit. Yeah. They know how to go out and compete. They've been here. They have the the veteran presence in the playoffs. They've done been here. They've done that. The Braves are kind of, you know, unproven in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of people here in Atlanta I know that feel like they're going to do it. Gordon, I couldn't help but smile that whole time. I know that you spent some time in Detroit as well. And when you said it's going to be cold, it's going to be 55. I was like, I was expecting you to say like 30 or something. You know. Hey, the, hey, the, the wind chill <laughs> is going to be a real deal. I mean, I'm All telling right, you, it's I know, supposed to be 15 miles per hour. hour. Yeah. I remember in 2019, <laughs> we opened the season and it was 33 degrees. It took nothing away from Chicago and we'd opened that season. Um, but I'm telling you, uh, this is not that, but it is going to be cool you. when these guys are not used to it. Uh, I believe you. I believe you. It's just, it, it's funny. And I, I just remember Miguel Cabrera hitting his first home run this season in, in the, the snow. snow and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's great though, but it is definitely going to be a factor. I totally agree with you there, especially being Houston in Atlanta. You're not used to the cold weather. Like that. They're, not, yeah, they're, they're not, not, you're not, they're not tough. Like the tigers and the white Sox. Yeah. I know all about that.
Um, let's take a look for the, the last question, Gordon, at the pitching matchup that we're expecting to see in game three. Luis Garcia on the mound for the Astros and Ian Anderson on the mound for the Braves. Who do you like in that matchup? Uh, Garcia has been really good. I feel like he's just, uh, I watched him in the, in the regular season too. He's got some stuff. He's got great hair. Um, so does, so does Ian Anderson, although he looks like Marv from, uh, home alone. So, um, I don't know who's going to be, uh, winning. If it was Christmas, I would say it's definitely going to be the Braves because of Ian Anderson and, uh, his look, but, I, listen, at the end of the day, uh, Garcia is really good, and Ian Anderson is too. I think you give the edge to Garcia because of what his stuff is. It's just better than Ian Anderson's, but Ian Anderson knows how to pitch, So, and it's in his own park. He struggled a little bit um, when when they played the Dodgers at home the first time, and then he kind of rebounded the second time. So I think that when, when you're doing that, he's kind of learning from his mistakes. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, he comes out and does, but I think that he'll, he'll – he'll, I think they'll both have good games. I think this will be a low-scoring game on Friday. And uh, just one or two things, defensively or offensively, are going to get this thing done. Talking about the hair, that's – yeah. Anyway, um, looking at Ian Anderson, uh, we Reds fans, we remember him kind of well in this postseason as well. He's had 12 innings pitch with three earned runs, nine hits allowed and four walks. He does have – 12 strikeouts and he mentioned the weather and that kind of the weather and and decent pitching kind of makes you think the under something that I was looking at at betonline.ag today is that they still have the over under at eight and a half you remember in game one that was the over under I told you to take the over I'm telling you take the over again on this one. I just I feel like these two lineups are going to come together. They're the strength of these teams. It's not the pitching, it's the lineups and the pitching just does enough. The pitching just gets enough outs. They're not necessarily the shutdown type of guys. So when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at betonline.ag, which by the way, go there today, set up your profile with the promo code locked on, and I'm taking the over. That's why it's like selected. Let's see if I can point to it. Right there. Yep. Yep. Taking the over eight and a half. It is currently minus 120. There's a lot of different things. You've got experts saying to take the over. There's uh, public money on the over, decent sharp action. Um, some, you know, sharp betters, guys who do this for a living, really like the over. There's a decent amount of money still on the under, though. So it's kind of one of those things that gives you a little bit of pause. And who knows? I mean, maybe one of my locks is really more of a fade than a lock. So I don't know. That's up for you. But I'm telling you, take the over eight and a half here on Friday night's game between the Astros and Braves here in the World Series. Ian Anderson against Luis Garcia. And do it at betonline.ag, the only online sportsbook that I trust. Head on over there today. Set up your profile with the promo code locked on. You'll get 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you get some more just for typing in locked on. Take that bonus, put some on the over eight and a half in tonight's World Series game. That's betonline.ag. The only they're they're the best place for basketball and football betting. With basketball going on, you've got the NHL. You've got a great UFC card this weekend and next weekend to jump in on at betonline.ag. Use that promo code locked on to get fifty percent more on your initial deposit. All right, this last segment, this is something that I want to do uh, recurring, not really going to set up a day. It's just going to be periodically throughout the offseason, but a segment that will start today, and it was uh, kind of an idea planted in my head thanks to Scott at MTG Packfoils on Twitter, friend of the podcast. He, uh, he kind of came up with this idea, looking at prospects 
who the Reds traded away, and where they are now. And I'm going to do this in installments because obviously there's been quite a few, and we're only looking at the last couple of years, so 2020 and 2019. I'm not counting this year, obviously, simply because there's no real movement on on, uh, prospects this season. Plus, they trade away players to be named later for the – or a player to be named later for the two relievers. But but beside all that, we're looking at the past couple of years here. And um, I got a thought on this in a minute. But first, we'll start with Packy Naughton because he's a guy. I love the dude's name. I, I thought he would have been a fun red to have and maybe a cool jersey to get or something like that. But he was in the deal that brought Brian Goodwin to the Reds for that brief stint there at the end of uh, – there in 2020. He gave up 16 earned runs in 22 innings pitched this year. So seeing him come up, he's going to be a lefty pitcher for the Angels. The Angels are starved for pitching, so Packy Naughton's got an opportunity. Hopefully we can see him kind of take it and run with it. Another prospect who was dealt last season, Stuart Fairchild. He was dealt to the uh, Diamondbacks. He only got two hits and 15 at-bats. This was his Major League debut this year, so his first real taste of professional baseball action, and he got two hits and 15 at-bats. So, yeah, whatever. He was traded with Josh Van Meter, but at that point, I didn't really consider Van Meter as a prospect or anything like that. Uh, another guy uh, who was traded, you can look back at 2019 for this one, Shed Long, who... Sonny Gray and Rivar San Martin, who could be an option for the Reds next year. We'll talk about him more this pre or this offseason. Uh, Shed Long really hasn't quite found his footing ever since being dealt bef- at the beginning, you know, early 2019. He's played three years as a Seattle Mariner and he's hit a grand total of batting average of 216 in those three years. So he's still kind of looking to get a foothold here in the major leagues. You've also got Taylor Trammell, who was the key prospect in the Trevor Bauer trade. Taylor Trammell made his debut this season for Seattle. He did get 156 at-bats, but he really had trouble with the strikeouts. 75 strikeouts in 156 at-bats this year, but he's fast. And I still think he's got a pretty high ceiling, somebody who could uh, develop into something. We'll obviously keep our eye on. Taylor Trammell for years to come. The one dude, though, that I want to note, I, I kind of, and maybe you got a different thought on this. I think this guy is at least one who we think might be one who got away. Josiah Gray, if you don't recognize that pitcher, it's because he has moved. The Reds traded him. He was part of the deal that sent Homer Bailey to the Dodgers and brought Yasiel Puig, Alex Wood, Kyle Farmer, at all. Hey, and, uh, wow, Matt Kemp. Almost forgot about him. I think most people do. Uh, brought all four of those guys to the Reds. And, uh, yeah, basically Kyle Farmer, the only guy still here from that trade. I remember that trade when it went down. That was days before I actually took over the Locked On Reds podcast. And I thought, boy, this is going to be a huge deal for the Reds. And it just really hasn't been. Although Puig was part of the Trevor Bauer deal, so we can debate how good a deal that really was. And to get Homer Bailey away, yeah, that was nice too. But Josiah Gray, the reason that I say he's the one that got away, he's a guy, and that rhymes, he's a guy that the Nationals are looking at as a future starter, a guy who can really help them out in the years to come. But more than that, he was a key part of the deal that the Dodgers sent him and Kiba Ruiz and a couple other guys to the Nationals for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. 
the Dodgers used Josiah Gray to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, along with, you know, Kiebert Ruiz and a couple other guys, whereas the Reds got Kyle Farmer? That seems like a little bit of an impropriety. I, I don't know. Like, so maybe he is a guy that uh, got away, as it were, because there's this whole big stigma when it comes to trading and acquiring talent for teams, especially like the Reds, who are in the small market, uh, you know, uh, vein that trading away prospects is a bad idea. We want to hold on. We want to, we want to keep these prospects, make sure that they develop as reds and they come up and they play for us. Why on earth would we trade prospects for proven talent? Because they're prospects. We love prospects. I don't understand that at all. Like for the most part, yes, there are some prospects who do pan out and Josiah Gray can very well be one guy who got away. But for every guy who got away, for every prospect that turns into something for another team, there's like five or six who you never hear from again. Or maybe you hear from them for a tiny little bit, and then they just don't do anything. Like, think about Brad Boxberger. Brad Boxberger has been a pretty decent reliever for the Brewers this past season. Until this season... He was kind of moving around trying to figure out who he was as a major league ball player. Like he pitched for the Padres for a little while. He was actually a red going through some of the transactions and stuff briefly at the end of 2019, they signed him off free agency. He was here for like a month and a half. And then they're like, yeah, no, we don't need you. That's why it's, it's, it's so weird. And so kind of hard to be stuck on prospects and worried about who we're dealing. Yeah, you don't want to empty your farm system. You you want to keep some guys here, but to look at the chance of making the playoffs, like what the Braves did. The Braves weren't even really in the playoff race when they made those moves, but they traded the guys that they did to acquire the talent that they have, and now they're in the World Series. Would you rather hold on to a prospect in the hope that he develops into something or go for that World Series? I don't want to be the guy that says, no, 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 no. We shouldn't trade prospects. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Because for every prospect, again, who pans out for another team, there's like five or six that we never hear from. But that's the point of this segment throughout the offseason. We're going to look at some guys. How many got away? How many Reds prospects that they traded away turned into something for somebody else? And that's the point of the prospect remorse report. Maybe. Uh, we'll work on that name. Whatever. Prospect remorse is at least going to be a part of the name moving forward. That's going to do it for us today, though. As we uh, look forward to a weekend of baseball in the World Series in Atlanta, we'll be talking all about that on Monday, kind of catch you up. That's what's coming up there. Thanks again for listening to Locked On Reds and making us your first listen of the day. Now go check out the Locked On MLB podcast as Sully has all your World Series coverage ad nauseum. And just like Locked On Reds, it's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and, uh, you know, it might be the offseason. But we're locked on Reds every day.